0: Morning. How are we doing? Fantastic. All right. Good to hear. All right. About six months ago or so, um, I didn't really put this on my calendar mark it, but I think it was six months or so ago, I was having a, uh, this, I don't know, it was a, a really weird time in my life. Um, I was honestly acting like a child, um, and uh, which is not a good thing for a 27-year-old guy to do, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. Um, I was acting really childish and grumpy all the time, and I really distanced myself from uh, people in a lot of ways. Um, just wasn't a fun person to be around, uh, to be honest, and uh, my wife noticed it, and in the most loving way you possibly can, she just said, figure it out. Um, she she realized that how I was wasn't me. How I was acting was not me. And so she she really lovingly a, a encouraged me. She just said, "How you need to figure this out because how you're acting it, it it's not you. It's not um, godly. It's very very selfish and self centered." And um, I said, "Okay." So I went upstairs at our house and um, just sat around. I, I read some and and. Um, I really just couldn't figure out and put my finger on what was causing me to act so distant towards people and so antisocial, because that's not really me. I'm kind of a social person, and I didn't understand what was happening. So I went to our spare room, and if your spare room is at your house, uh, is anything like ours, uh, if you have one, uh, it just becomes the junk room. Um, And so I went to our, our spare room. Um, and I went into the closet and found my, uh, baseball glove and a baseball. And so I began just tossing a baseball up in the air while laying on our, our spare bed. And, uh, this was a way that I thought, uh, I went through a thinking process when I was a kid, you know, just, it was a way to clear my thoughts and, and really think about things. So I just toss a baseball up in the air usually go outside and do it and whatever. Um, So I thought, surely, as an adult, I'll be able to do this now. And what I I came to realize through this whole process was, honestly, um, I missed many of my friends. And uh, it was a really sad and mopey Kyle moment, honestly. And if you were there to see it, you'd you'd be like, seriously, dude, get over yourself. Um, But it it was just this thing like... Man, this is how symbolic is this of how I'm feeling right now. I'm tossing a baseball by myself. I don't have anyone to toss a baseball with. And so I began to get a little frustrated by this. I missed friendships. And it's just part of life, isn't it? It's just it's how life goes. Friends move away, friends get married, friends' lives change, and and it just happens where friendships change. But I was having a hard time understanding that and realizing it. You see, from the second we're in kindergarten to when we graduate high school, we really have our pick of friends. That's just how it goes. We are surrounded by hundreds of people our same age. And um, you have your pick of, uh, of people, and you're bound to find someone who's somewhat like you. And so it's really easy to find friends in, um, in high school and middle school and all that stuff. In fact, it's one of the things I always encourage the, the students in the student ministry. I'm just always telling them, listen, the time you have now is going to be unlike anything you'll ever experience in life. And we all understand that. You are never again going to be around 600 people all at one time every single day, all of which um, have the same passion to complete school and stuff like that. All of you have at least one thing in common. And so um, I I encourage the students all the time to take advantage of these friendships and these relationships that that you build because... When life happens, it, um, you tend to lose friendships and see fr- friendships fade away. In fact, I think if I asked um, many of you who are parents what, what's one of the um, things that's most important to you uh, when you're parenting your kids, I think within the top three would be their friends. My, uh, my dad, five years ago, I was working at another church, and I asked my dad to put together this parent resource for me. And it was I just asked my dad to go over his greatest fears in parenting. And my dad's a really wise guy. He's a great writer, and he agreed to this. And so he wrote five fears. And if you would ever want this, I could gladly give it to you because he did an excellent job on it. But on the top of the list of the five fears, he said they were in no particular order, but I found it interesting that the top one was friends our friendships um, for me and my brothers. And this is what he said. I I pulled this back up. He said this, I was always concerned about who my sons were hanging out with. Not that I would run background checks or anything. I just wanted to hear names. Names gave us something we could latch on to. We could ask questions. We could have conversations. And we were fortunate that our sons had some wonderful (laughs) friends that enriched their lives tremendously. And we never had to ask them to disassociate themselves with anyone. And he was right. Me and my brothers chose incredible friends. We chose um, friends that really cared for us. Um, and I think that's what was hitting me the hardest, was because I've always had these close friends. My um, best friend in the entire world, his name's Andrew, and me and him have been friends since second grade. That's almost 19 years we've been friends. And that's rare to see such a deep friendship last so incredibly long. Um, and I, I never really understood that until talking with some of my other friends, like, I don't have anybody like that in my life. But what happened um, around this time, uh, six, seven months ago, or whatever, when I was feeling this way, was um, Andrew uh, had um, his first son was born um, six months after that. So his firstborn son, six months old, and he's taking care of him. And to take care of his wife, he was working two jobs. So um, his focus was on his son, his wife, and his jobs. And so uh, obviously he didn't have time for me. And The realization of that made me realize, okay, maybe I'm being a little selfish. Obviously, he has that going on in his life. And I thought about my friend Gabe. Gabe is a great friend of mine, very close to him. But he's seeking a theater theater degree degree at TCU. And so he's always in these plays. He's always busy. And so um, he didn't have time for me. And I'm like, well, seeking his dreams. So I can't be upset with him. Again, selfishness on my part. Then my friend Micah, many of you might, might have met Micah when he led worship here a couple years ago. And Micah, um, just an amazing friend of mine, we really grew this friendship and uh, we were very close, but he moved to North Carolina. And um, so that obviously stops the depth of a relationship there. His, uh, Micah's brother, Josh, another close friend of mine, uh, moved to New Jersey and so I was just seeing, as all this happened, really over like a a year and a half to two year span, all of this change in my life. I just went from having all these friends, being surrounded by friends, friends who would just come over to my house unannounced. And uh, my wife is like, "What's going on?" I'm like, "They're friends, you know, it's all good." And and, and she certainly wasn't upset about that in any way. Um, but that was that was my life. Um, I, I had friends that that I could just call on whenever. Whenever I just wanted to go hang out with somebody, I had that. And now um, I, I just had my wife, which, believe me, is incredible. My wife is my best friend. I'm not saying that, but there was a, a different manly friendship that I was missing, and I felt alone. Now, honestly, I was throwing a pity party for myself. Let's, let's be honest. It's not healthy to pout for weeks on end and then you just find yourself tossing a baseball at the ceiling. My wise wife, uh, as I explained uh, this realization to her, um, she's like, "Do you you do understand how ridiculous it is that how you're dealing with not having friends is by removing yourself from people?" (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of a genius. Yeah, certainly. So she said, "Call somebody up. You have friends. Call somebody." I called a friend of mine up, and we we hung out that day. It was um, very relieving and. eye-opening But the truth is that no matter how childish I was acting or frustrated I was, there is some basis to my frustration. Because here's the thing, we're all in need of connection. We all need friends in our life and and relationships in our life. We need that. That's how God built us. Um, Randy talks a lot about community and how we are called to community with one another. But we're really also called to friendships with one another. And I say called because it's more than just God wanting us to have plenty of social interaction. Because God does. God wants us to have friends. But it's more than that. It's something we're called to. It's something that we are supposed to have. We are supposed to have friends. It it is a a command in a lot of ways um, as we look at at different areas of the Bible. And so we have to be building these relationships with others. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, I, I want you to open your Bibles. I'm going to ask you to kind of uh, go to two places. First of all, open your Bibles and go to Proverbs 3 and then put a little bookmark there. That's going to be our core verse for today. But once you've found that, flip over to Matthew 5. And so as you're doing all those intricate details of what I told you to do, um, let me set this up for you. In Matthew 22, Jesus um, is challenged by some Pharisees. These Pharisees come up to him and say, Um, you know, teacher, tell us what the greatest commandment is. They were trying to trap him. They were trying to get him to say something other than what truly is the greatest commandment. What they were asking for was um what the um Jewish people called the Shema, and that that is uh, to love the Lord your God with all your your heart, mind, and soul. And so they asked Jesus to do this, and this is what he says. He says, um, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. But I love what Jesus does here. Um, This is so like Jesus to do. When somebody asks him something, he always gives them what they need, not what they asked for. Um, And so they ask for what is the greatest commandment. He says, I'm going to give you the two greatest commandments. And then he says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I love that right there. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This word neighbor is the word reah, and um, I'm not a a Hebrew scholar, so if if you are, sorry, that's how I'm pronouncing it today. Um, But uh, reah is this word that is used, anytime you see neighbor in the Bible, um, that is the word it's using, reah, which also means friend. Just about every instance of friendship in the Bible is defined by this word reah. Whether they're called neighbors or called friends, it's the same word, um, but just translated different um, into English. So um, knowing that can possibly be a comfort to you. Like, okay, so this is actually love your friend as yourself. So I don't have to love my neighbor. Good, because I don't like that guy. Um, Might be what you're thinking. But um, that's obviously not the case. And here's why. Um, This word love here is this word uh, hesed. And that's a fun word to say. I've been enjoying saying it as I've been preparing this type on my computer alone. I'm just going hesed. Chesed. Um, that's just because I like clearing my throat, I guess. I don't know. Um, so, but hesed is this uh, love that means a loving kindness and a mercy. That's the type of love we're supposed to show towards our friends, towards our neighbors. But that brings me to Matthew 5. So I ask you to turn to Matthew 5. If you'll look at verse 43 through 47, and I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. So here we go. You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he makes his sun rise on evil and on good. He sends rain and on the just and onto the unjust for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brothers greet only your brothers, uh, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I know, why do I have to remind you of the love your enemies verse? But the same word for love in this verse is the same word he uses for love in verse 22. It's that chesed love, that we are supposed to love our enemies with kindness and mercy. In the same way we need to love our neighbors with kindness and mercy. In the same way we need to love our friends with kindness and mercy. What I'm getting at is we, as believers in Christ, need to treat our enemies as our friends. And our friends as our friends. And our neighbors as our friends. And everyone in between. So you might think, well, Kyle, my wife, my husband, my kids, my family, they're they're all the friends I need so what about those people at work? Well, I don't like them. Then meet your new buddies. What about that person at uh, Starbucks that really messed up your order and then gave you attitude about, about it? And that's your new pal. We are supposed to treat others with this love. And this is what he says here in Matthew five. He says, um, for he talking about God makes his son rise on the evil and, and good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. He, he's saying, listen, I, I treat everybody the same. The sun is going to rise on all of you. I'm going to send rain and the same rain that hits your crops is going to hit their crops. It, it's just how it is. You should have the same blanket of Hesed love over Everyone, whether you like them or not, that's irrelevant. I love this quote from Samuel Johnson, who was an 18th century writer, poet, and devout Anglican. And this is what he says. If a man does not make new acquaintances as he advances through life, he will soon find himself alone. A man, sir, must keep his friendships in constant repair. That kind of hit me hard as uh, a pouty 27-year-old throwing a baseball at a ceiling. A man who does not make new acquaintances will find himself alone. So we're in this series called Choices, and we're talking about wisdom and the decisions we make in life. And one of the decisions we make every day is how we treat other people. We make that decision every single day when we talk to somebody, the facial expressions we give them, the body language, the words that we say, the choice to say something to them or not. Those are all decisions that we make. And so um, that's what we're going to be digging into today. I want you to look at um, this verse in Proverbs I ask you to turn to. So Proverbs 3, verses 3 and 4. And the reason I ask you to turn here and um, make sure you saw this is because I really, this is a verse I encourage you to memorize. Um, we're going to be moving quickly through Proverbs, uh, through this sermon today. And, uh, I don't expect you to flip along with all these and back and forth and stuff like that, but I do want you to remember this verse and keep it close. In fact, the verse itself tells you to memorize it in a sense. So chapter three, verse three says this, never let loyalty and kindness leave you tie them around your neck as a reminder, write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will earn a good reputation. Again, I love how it tells you, listen, write this on your heart. Keep it around your neck. Remember this passage. Remember it. Remember never to let loyalty and kindness leave you. And here's the interesting thing. That that word kindness there is interchangeable with love. That, That word is hesed. It's the same word, same Hebrew word there. So we should never let this love and mercy and kindness and loyalty fade from us. These should be the traits that follow us. We should be defined by these traits. And not only will we find good favor among God, who, who um, finds joy in our loyalty and our obedience, not only that, but this type of attitude, these type of traits, that also finds favor among people. And it's so true, right? I mean, that's, that's what we seek in friends. We want friends who are loyal, and trustworthy who will be there for us we want friends that are kind that that offer a kind word to us and and help lift us up when we need it we want friends that show mercy when we do something wrong we we need that from a friend we don't want a friend that is not trustworthy or not there We're not always uh, um, fond of the friend who has all the answers but can't deliver it with any sort of kindness or gentleness, but they deliver it with arrogance and condescension. It's obvious out of those two concepts of friends, which friend we would want. We want the trustworthy, kind-hearted, merciful friend. But the difficult question about that is, which type of friend are you? When you treat other people, when you talk with other people, close friends or, or acquaintances and every everyone in between, how do you treat them? Do you treat them with that that hesed love, that kindness, that mercy? Or do you treat them out of your own selfishness? So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, that really sets up that verse there, uh, chapter three, verse three and four, really sets up what we're going to talk about, that love must be the foundation of every friendship. Every friendship we have, love has to be at the center of it. That's just how it is. And again, we have to realize that we're called to consider everyone friends, in a sense. Everyone is supposed to be that rea, that that, um, that neighbor, that that friend, that acquaintance. We're supposed to treat everybody with the same amount of love. And so Love has to be the foundation of every friendship, every relationship. So let's talk uh, about this. Let's take a look at how we love. How should we love in these friendships? And we're we'll going to be taking a look at several proverbs here. The first thing we realize is that loving friends forgive. Loving friends show forgiveness. Proverbs ten twelve says this: Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Then Proverbs 17, 9 says this, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. Well, how true is that, right? Dwelling on on something without forgiving it really can tear apart friendships. We should love in such a way that it overpowers our faults and our offenses. It overpowers these things that people have done wrong. And I think this is one of the keys in building relationships with others. It really strengthens uh, relationships when a friend is able to forgive you or, or uh, trust you or continue to consider you a friend, despite your weaknesses, despite the bruises and the dings of your life, in a sense, um, that's when you know you have a true friend, right? That's when you know you have a true friend. I'll never forget when my, um, my wife did this for me. And it was when we were dating and I really realized she was going to be a girl that I would be around for a while. So we were dating and um I I did something wrong, and I was pretty insecure at the time because uh, my last relationship, uh, romantic relationship, just didn't end well, and um, it it was uh, very difficult on me. I I felt very insecure. And so when I did something wrong, I found myself overly apologizing to my wife. Uh, Well, she wasn't my wife then. That would have been weird. Uh, My girlfriend at the time. So I I found myself um, overly apologizing to Maddie. And and so I would say, you know, Maddie, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I hope you can forgive me. I'm so sorry about that. Then 30 minutes later, I found the need to do the same over again. Sorry, so sorry, so sorry about that. Sorry, 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 sorry. Three hours later, I'm still saying, sorry, sorry, so sorry, hoping forgive me. Gosh, I'm an idiot. Sorry, sorry, so sorry. And eventually, Maddie was just like, why do you say sorry so much? Once should be enough. If you mean it, then just say it once and mean it and show it. And And that was so true. She had already forgiven me for that. She had already shown that for, to me. And she didn't need me to can constantly remind her that I was sorry in order for her to forgive me. Granted, I ha- had to then apologize for saying sorry so many times. <laughs> but I figured it out eventually. It's in this forgiveness that we, we realize we have this lasting relationship I didn't have to walk on eggshells around her. I didn't um, have to do any of that, but I respected her enough not to abuse that forgiveness either. I still know that if I make a mistake, she'll forgive me, and she'll, um, she'll love me through it. We're showing forgiveness is difficult, though, as with those we don't care much about. Don't care as much about as Maddie cared about me. Those in your mind who subconsciously you would consider undeserving of your forgiveness. You wouldn't say that. You wouldn't look at somebody and say, you're undeserving of my forgiveness. You wouldn't do that. But, but you know that happens, right? Right? Or somebody um, says something to you in passing, maybe criticizes you in some sort of way, and you just choose in your mind, that person's a jerk, I'm just going to excommunicate myself from them. They are not deserving of my forgiveness. And so we've fallen into this trap of shunning someone because of one instance and one offense. That's exactly, exactly what God does for us, though, right? Right? He looks at us in this offense, but he forgives. He does the exact opposite of what we do so many times to people. He forgives us. He looks at us, a people who have lost their passion for him and in many ways have turned our our backs on, on him, and we do so daily. But he chose to forgive us. He sent his son to die for us so that we might know him, that we might have a relationship with him, and so we can receive that forgiveness a forgiveness that forgives a lifetime of unrighteousness. Because he knows that even though when we accept Christ and when we choose um, to, to give our lives over to God, he knows that we still have a flesh that desires sin and we still will stumble and we will still fall in sin. He knows that, and yet he has given us this blanket of grace. And how amazing is it that he says, all of your lifetime of unrighteousness from birth to death, I forgive. And yet when we are offended in the slightest bit, we say, no, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't forgive you. Uh, The other night, uh, Wednesday night, I was talking to the students about um, anger, really um, awesome time, not because, of anything I said, but because of the response from the students, one of the final things I asked them um, was just to raise their hand if they um, could think of somebody in their head that they truly hated, somebody that they could not find a way to forgive in their life, that had offended them and led them to, to hate or resentment. And the hands that went up all over the room almost brought me to tears. Because it wasn't um, teenage uh, drama that was causing this. I I could tell that. This wasn't a bunch of students said, well, he started doing this and that just annoys me. And so, yeah, I hate him. No, it's not like that. It wasn't like that at all. I saw in the eyes of these students, students who could not find a way to forgive a a friend who had completely stabbed in the back emotionally couldn't forgive um, a person in their life who had hurt them deeply. And some of them are, are dealing with, with parents who have hurt them or step-parents who have hurt them, and it is tragic. And I'm not saying that they're not all at fault, but be, the hurt is real. And so I say that to say I understand that there are people in your life that are hard to forgive. and, and In fact, hard to forgive doesn't do it justice. You do not see a way to forgive them. I understand there are people in our lives that have hurt us tremendously. And and some of us have been hurt in ways that we could never possibly understand or empathize with. But we're called to forgiveness. What does uh, Jesus say in Matthew 5 there? He says, be perfect as your father is perfect. We should seek perfection. That means seeking to show our enemies, those that we would call our enemies, seeking to show them love even when they don't deserve it. And that should define us. It means us forgiving a lifetime of unrighteousness for all of our lifetime. So we must show this forgiveness to even our friends, neighbors, and enemies, and everyone in between. But this type of love and faithfulness uh, through forgiveness also means knowing how to stand up to your friends. How to stand up and say something that is true. So that brings me to this next point. Loving friends speak truth openly. Loving friends speak truth openly. Uh, Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says this. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the words of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. This is the yes man verse. We don't need yes men in our life. It doesn't change us. It doesn't uh, make us better. Sometimes we feel it'd be great if everybody in our life just told us, hey, you're awesome. You're doing things so well. Hey, uh, you want to go do this? Go for it. You're going to succeed. You'll do that. We, we want that feeling because it encourages us um, e- even for a fleeting moment. But what we need is different from what we want, right? What we need is a friend who is close enough to us to say, listen, you're not acting to God's will. And I, I love you. I don't want to see you living that way. And that's not an easy thing to do. I've had to do it to several students, several friends of mine, and I've had it done on to me, and it is difficult. But it's what we need. We need friends who will be more than smiles and more than just positive sayings and be willing, willing to share the negative with us and share that open rebuke to not hide it and, and say it behind our backs. And I think you know what I'm talking about there. When you see somebody who's hurting, you t- go and tell somebody else, like, man, they're they're struggling. Should I say something? No, you should say something. No, you should say something. No, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I know how that is. But we need to be friends who will speak openly to others and share that open rebuke because it is out of love. And that's important. It has to be out of that same Hesed love. It has to be out of that same kindness and mercy. Because if if not, we fall into being cruel. So there's this balance to it, right? So that brings me to the next point. A loving friend is not cruel. So, yes, we have to share this truth openly, but we can't be cruel about it. We can't be malicious about it. I had a uh, football coach when I was in uh, middle school, and he was an awful man. Um, (laughs) He was just a mean, mean person. And uh, he was angry all the time, and he was trying to earn our respect by putting the fear of God into us, basically. He would yell at us um, constantly. Anytime we did something right, he yelled at us. We did something wrong, he yelled at us, um, and he, he just about daily broke a clipboard. Um, he would just throw it on the ground, snap. Um, that was until the other coaches, as a joke, made a clipboard for him made out of like three-quarter inch plywood, uh, <laughs> It was really funny to us, too, until he broke that one, too. Uh, and we're like, what is wrong with this guy? I, I remember um, so many of, of, so much of what he did was almost borderline illegal. Like, once he got upset at, at a uh, uh, one of the quarterbacks, and he told him, hey, hold that ball in like a place kicker formation. So he told him to hold the ball so he could kick it in anger. And so he went to kick it, but he followed through too much and hit the kid's hand and uh, sprained the kid's wrist. And so he was without a quarterback for that week. I mean, that was the anger coming from this coach. Now, nowadays, that coach would probably be sued by those parents, and just that would be the end of it. Um, But that was not the case. He was still on staff at our school the very next year. But something happened that was really interesting, our eighth grade year. We didn't care anymore. We had heard it for a year of football and basketball and all these other sports. We had heard it, and it fell on deaf ears, and it was amazing, (laughs) Not amazing for him because there was a mass um, lack of respect for him where students were blatantly telling him no to his face and none of the other coaches seemed to care. Some people at times, choose cruelty and choose force to get their way and to get their point across. But eventually, that is going to fall on deaf ears. And it's the same way, if we, even if we're trying to give truth to somebody before beating them over the head with it without any kindness and without any, um, uh, any mercy, if we're just constantly um, beating somebody over the head with bluntness, it can start to make a person numb. I think we, we all understand the mindset of, of a person just saying, you know what, um, if no one's going to say it, I'm going to say it, and that's just who I'm going to be. I'm going to be that blunt person who just says it. And some people take pride in that, but we shouldn't. We should take more pride in having to say the blunt things in a loving way that shows care and compassion. That is a lot harder to do. So a loving friend has to share that truth, but they cannot be cruel. These verses stuck out to me about that. Proverbs 11, 16 through 17, a gracious woman gets honor. A violent man get, uh, gets riches. And I love that point because um, some people seek riches, right? Some people seek the worldly things. And so you can get worldly success by being a cruel person. But you will not get honor and you will not get respect. A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. It's important for us to realize that our our cruelty, our our violence in how we say things um, can eventually do a lot more harm than the content of our words could do good. The next thing is that a loving friend encourages. A loving friend encourages. Proverbs 12.25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. We're all going to face times of worry and stress in our lives. We're going to um, be just in the difficult storms of life, if you will. But if we're going to be a loving friend, we're going to need to be willing to offer a kind word to others, even when our day is not going so well. We need to be willing to do that. It's important for us to realize the the focus of this. Um we have this ministry that's um, we're honoring and commissioning next week here at Eagles View called Stephen Ministry, and you might have heard about it before. But um, Stephen Ministry is uh, this ministry in which a group of trained um, people um, are sent to people who need help. They are caretakers going to people who receive care, and. Um, and that's emotional care, that's um, mental care, and everything in between there, and they they just love on people. My mom um, at her church is a Stephen minister, and I know my mom gets stressed out with her job. Uh, She gets overwhelmed by it sometimes. She works as a a dental hygienist, and so it can be an incredibly busy, frantic job for her, Um, and, and she works long hours sometimes, but once a week, she puts all that stress aside, and she goes to a person who needs care, who needs encouragement, and she gives it. She doesn't say, okay, now I've heard all your problems. Now it's time for you to hear my problems. Not that, not, that's not helping at all. No, so she sees the weight on a person's heart, and she offers that good word, as this, this verse says. We need to do that for others. A loving friend does this, showing this Hesed sort of love, this love of kindness and mercy means that we sometimes will put the weight of others on our shoulders and share this good word with them, even though we might be having horrible things happen to us as well. A little side note to this is if you are the receiver of that, um, I've seen time and time again, how people fall into an addiction to receiving that good word. And what I mean by that is, um, You take advantage of the good words of others and expect that to drive you in life. Um, And you may not know what I'm talking about, but it's just this whole idea of everything in the world always seems to be crashing around you and everything seems to go wrong. And um, you just need somebody to say, hey, it's going to be all right. That's okay for a time. But um, the Bible clearly says we are not to be people of worry. And so God says that not so that, you know, we take the weight off of people who encourage us. No, no, no. We need people to encourage us. We're in community. That happens. But God says that because he wants us to be reliant on him. God wants us to trust in him. And if we trust in him enough and, and put all of our trust and faith in him, then our worries and our stress really do in a lot of ways seem to melt away. The next thing here is a loving friend challenges growth. A loving friend challenges growth. Um, this verse, very popular verse, Proverbs twenty seven seventeen: Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. See, I'm the type of guy who needs someone to motivate me if I'm going to make any changes to myself. Um, and, and what I mean is, I, I'm easily motivated to get my work done. I can be motivated to, to help others, but, um, I can do that myself. But when I need changes done in my life, I need somebody to motivate me. It's just kind of how I am. Um, I spend a lot of time just really pouring myself out to other people. And, um, I, I also need friends to tell me to slow down sometimes. Um, but, um, if it comes to something like say losing weight, um, I need someone to motivate me to do that. But motivation uh, in this case is different than just saying, hey, you can do it. That's not the, the motivation we're talking about there and the challenge that we're talking about here in this verse. As iron sharpens iron, there's this this conflict, this, this connection, this friction, and this shaping. And so what I mean is if somebody looks at me and says, hey, Kyle, hey, you really need to lose some weight, um, I would say, I know, while I eat a burger in their face. You know, that, that's just... Like, you did not help me be motivated um, just telling me something doesn't do it. What, what does it is if somebody says, hey, Kyle, you want to go work out this weekend? I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? Um, and they show that they want to work through this with me and they want to help change my life hey, Kyle, I got this uh, new app that has a calorie counter. You want to be my accountability um, uh, partner on this calorie counter program? I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, why not? Walking alongside someone and shaping them, that is showing love through, through these challenges. And the thing about iron sharpening iron, there is friction. There is, there is tension. But it's this metal shaping metal. And in the end, the plate ends up better. The blade uh, is improved. And so if that's the case, the same thing happens in our friendships. Loving a friend enough to challenge them to grow. Challenge them to change. Challenge them to do things better. So now that we know what it means to love as a friend, now that we've seen these different areas that we can love as a friend, I want to leave you with two things today that hopefully will challenge you to go out and and put these things into practice. And here's the reason why. Friendship is a daily practice of love. Friendship is this daily practice of love. And so if love is the foundation of our friendships. We have to be daily showing that love to our friends. So that's what I mean by that. So I want to give you a couple ways that you make this your daily mission. You make this your daily mission to love others and to care for others. And so the first one is to do this first, regularly ask what type of friend am I? Ask yourself that it's important that we constantly look in the mirror. So to speak, we constantly are evaluating ourselves. What type of friend am I? Um, Am I a friend who's a good listener, a good teacher? I mean, what areas am I good as a friend? What areas am I weak as a friend? What can I do better? And and evaluate those things. Really um, listen to yourself as you talk to people. And again, let me reiterate, when I'm talking about friends, um, we're talking about everyone. How, How are you presenting yourselves to other people? Are you showing this loving kindness and this mercy with other people? Or do you pick and choose who gets that? So who are you? Who, who are you? Evaluate yourself. But there's a second step to this. I think you can only evaluate yourself so much. So you have to ask somebody else to evaluate you. Go to a friend, a, a close friend, somebody who you know, as we talked about, is not just going to give you yes-man answers. You know, just say, oh, you're fine. You're the greatest friend ever. You need somebody who's not going to do that to you because that doesn't help you. Uh, uh, what, what you want is a friend who's going to look at you and say, "Hey, these are the three things you do great. These are the three things that um, I wish you were better at." And you're going to see there are going to be some areas that are just just natural weaknesses weaknesses for you that you might have to, to build up or might have to to watch how you how you talk or act in certain ways. I mean, maybe you are just kind of blunt and blatant, so maybe you have to find ways to show love in that. I'm not asking you to change your personality, but we can change how we care for others. If you want a little extra um, extra difficulty to this task, instead of asking a close friend, how about you ask an acquaintance, somebody that you only kind of know, <laughs> um, somebody that you, you know enough to talk to and that can give you a, a straight answer, but just say, hey, I'm, I'm doing this thing. I'm just evaluating myself. Uh, you might think this is weird, but... Um, when you see me around the office or when you see me uh, uh, around, um, how do you think I act around people um, generally? And, and how do I look like when I'm I'm kind of more in a bad mood? What does that look like to you? And you'll be surprised what you find out. You might find out that you have a very positive image among your, your peers, which is an amazing thing. Or you might find out there's one um, little thing you can work on that can really change how you interact with people around you. I, um, last year at camp, had a great night with some uh, of our middle school and high school guys. I asked them, um, who wants me to speak blatantly into their lives? Um, And several of them raised their hand. I don't know if that was wise or not, but they did. Um, And so um, I I would, one by one, um, just say, hey, let's go talk. And we'd go down the hall a little ways so no one else could just hear us and um, I could really share in in their lives. And I, I challenged them. I challenged them greatly to step up in their maturity and, and to to do um, to more to grow and to be the man God wants them to be. And some of them, you know, um, some of them it was difficult difficult stuff. Some of them it was a little bit easier, but all of them received challenge. And the um, the cool thing was not one of those guys pushed back and said, you're wrong, Kyle. No, no, you see it wrong. Every single one of them took it with uh, a sense of of grace and um, and joy. In fact, the very next day, they were putting it into action. And the really cool thing is now when I go back and talk to those guys, or if I see them doing something that's against what I talked to them about, all I have to do is say, hey, man, remember when we talked at camp? Oh, yeah. Got it. Got it. Stay on path. So there's a lot of good that can come out of um, opening yourself up to this a- analysis, if you will, because you can have an accountability partner that just pops up like that and just say, hey, if you see me doing these three things that are, are a little um, off, can you, can you just call me out on it? I mean, you don't have to do it in front of people. Just say, hey, you're, you're kind of, you know, a little rude to that person. You're kind of doing that. That can really change you and grow you. I had a a friend of mine do that for me when I was um, an intern at my last church. And uh, it was incredibly eye-opening. He just said, hey, can I speak blatantly into your life? And I was like, sure. (laughs) Why not? I'm awesome. Um, (laughs) Bad idea. Um, But he just uh, lovingly told me, listen, Kyle, you're amazing Um, in this area you're amazing in this area you work really hard in this area but um, when you talk to this group of students um, you can you can kind of come off as rude or arrogant Kyle you can actually come off as um, this way or that way and I was sitting there just going whoa (laughs) I had no idea but because I still remember that conversation I know that it continually shapes how I interact with not only you but our students in the student ministry Here's the last thing I would tell you, and we'll be done. Not only are you supposed to evaluate yourself and allow others to evaluate you, but I'd ask you to know your friends, to get to know your friends. And, and what I mean by this is really to, um, to understand where your friends lie in kind of your circle of friendships. And so I'm going to give you guys this visual. I'm going to move out of the way so you can see this a little better. Um, but you may have seen a chart like this, um, the concentric circles of friendship. So, no, it's not the Target logo. Um, that's, that's just a chart. We'll get there. Okay. Um, the first circle, right at the center there, is a circle of intimacy. These are your, your friends that are closest to you. You invite them into that place of intimacy with you. You, you invite them into closeness with you. Um, you are willing to share the, your deepest um, hurts, your deepest secrets, your, your deepest desires. You're um, willing to share that with them openly, and there's no awkwardness or, or, um, or silliness there or anything like that. Often these are your spiritual friends, your close family members, your spouse and you should only be able to think about a handful of people that fit in that circle, maybe five, maybe ten, um, uh, ten tops probably. Me, when I was thinking about this, I probably have six or seven. One guy is borderline. Maybe I'll kick him out. I don't know. Um, just <laughs> kidding. Come on. Um, but um, uh, I spent some time evaluating my friends just as uh, I was studying for this message, just saying, is that person in this circle or are they in the next circle? And the, the next circle is the circle of influence. These are the people that you know well, and they know you well. You can um, have an influence on their life, and they do the same for you, hence, circle of influence. They make an impact in your life. you feel open talking to them. They feel open talking to you. You might not share the most intimate details of your life unless there's some sort of dire uh, uh, circumstances. And so um, maybe then some more intimate details would come out, but you know them well and you care about them greatly and you get along with them. These are the people you hang out with regularly or could hang out with regularly. Um, These are people you really care about in your circle of influence. And this is probably um, anywhere from 15 to 30 people. That's just a guess. It depends on your job and the the um, amount of people you're around on a daily basis, um, and also your personality as well. Then the third circle there is the circle of concern. That's the outer ring there, and these are your acquaintances. These are your coworkers. These are the people you see, you know, most of the, the time, maybe day in, day out. Uh, but you probably only know their first name, might know their nickname. Um, if you knew their last name, it's not because you asked it, you just heard it or something like that. Um, and these are the people, you don't know many details about their lives. You might know that they have two kids or or they have a poodle, but um, that's that's about it. Um, and, and so um, they're acquaintances. You could have a short conversation with them, you know, how's the weather and stuff like that. But um, you, you really don't have a deep relationship with them. They're, they're of your concern, but not necessarily going to make an influence on your life um, or anything like that. So you're more aware of them, if anything. And then uh, there's another um, group that's not shown on this chart because they're outside the circle. And that would be... Um, people uh, that are unknown or rejected by you. And so this is a, a people that is outside your recognition, either because you don't notice them on a daily basis. Um, how I tell the students with um, kids at their school, I tell them that those are your background of life. And it kind of wakes you up to the idea that, yeah, I really make people scenery in my life sometimes. They're just as important to me as the tree I pass on the freeway or something. Um, that That is how we treat people sometimes. So, it, But it's not a horrible thing. We have to be aware that we do this, but there are just simply people we're not going to know, right? So these are unknown, but there's also people outside the circle that we've chosen to put there. We ignore them. We might know their name, but we do not acknowledge their existence. And so, um, we, we, um, we, we choose to set them outside the circle. We choose to ignore them. And maybe that falls into the category of what we were talking about, forgiveness. And so what person offends you, they're out. I, I'm not gonna concern myself with them anymore. So, um, obviously, there, there's people um, in that group. Like I said, you have to discover if you're um, purposely ignoring, and that's the first thing you should realize. If there are people you've pushed out of your concern, um, you need to mend those relationships. You need to um, seek growth in those areas and, and choose to bring people back into your, your sight. But what else do we do with this information? We have to know where our friends land in here, the people we we know on a daily basis, where they land, and also where your so-called enemies fit into this circle. Knowing how close you are to one person rather than another can help you interact with each person. It's also important in growing relationships. Um, These circles are always in flux. They're always changing. Like I said with my opening illustration, um, I I had a bunch of friends move away, or due to life circumstances, how they... uh, um, interacted with me changed it it uh, has an ebb and a flow to it that's just how relationships are we have to be aware of that Um, but we also have to always be seeking uh, to find new people to encourage in our lives Um, again looking at this i want you to to realize how these circles work Um, because this is incredibly important for another reason not only knowing who your friends are but knowing um, who you can share the gospel with most effectively that's the point of all of this really the, the circle of intimacy, these people um, probably have already heard the gospel from you, already accepted the, uh, Jesus Christ, or you know, you both have an understanding that they have chosen not to accept Christ at this time. And you, um, while you'll continue to pour into their life and share the gospel with them, you understand where they are in their relationship with Christ. That's the circle of intimacy. You don't usually see within your circle of intimacy people, uh, uh, come to know Christ. You do uh, occasionally, and, and that's amazing, um, but that's just not what you usually see. But it's that circle of influence that you have the most uh, opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. These are the pe- people that are willing to hear you talk for more than three seconds. And if people are willing to hear you talk for more than three seconds, y- you've got to take that opportunity to share the most important news that you can with somebody. You got to share the gospel with them. And so I I ask that for another reason, that you start to look at the people that are in your circle of concern, your acquaintances, and wonder, who am I ignoring that I should be making a person of influence in my life? Who am I ignoring that I should share the gospel with or get to know better so I can have that opportunity? We need these relationships, not simply for our benefit, but these are connections that are essential for us sharing the gospel one-on-one conversations, no matter how many friends you have, no matter how big or small your circle is, it's about your intention with these connections. How are you changing lives and how are you loving others with this love and mercy that's in action? Would you bow your heads? As you sit there um, I I encourage you to just begin to think of one person. Maybe it's a person in that circle of concern that you've kept there, a person you've kept at arm's length that you need to get to know better, someone you need to encourage. As you have that person's face in your mind, maybe it's a person you need to forgive for something. As you have that person's face in your mind, let me pray over us. Father God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for this message. And God, all of this room, we're thinking about people in our lives that we want to cultivate relationships with and we want to to grow in a relationship with, with the intention of loving them like you've called us to love them. And so, Father, I pray um, over these relationships that, God, change will happen, that the gospel will be shared, that your name would be known because we have made a choice to not be all about the relationships we want, not all about relationships. Um, sharing love with just our closest friends, but God, we would begin sharing love with everybody. We'd be known by that. God, may that define us more than anything else. May we be defined by that loving kindness and mercy more than any worldly thing we do. And again, I thank you for this message. Pray that it it continues to stay bound to our hearts this week and beyond.